Hello and welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. Harvest Church is based in sunny Durban, South Africa. We are a family of believers who are passionate about Jesus. We really hope this message inspires you today. Morning everyone, so good to be with you. I know we've had a bit of a rough evening last night. We had an Irishman that was here in the first service, so I got everyone to uh, scorn him for a moment just to help us. No, I'm kidding. The good thing is we're still in the World Cup. And uh, a France without DuPont is not a France that we normally know, but we are praying for his healing because we believe in that. I want to start with just a little story that I heard. Um, well, actually, just before that, as, as you heard, we've just got back. We, uh, we went on a ministry trip, myself and Leanne Rich, Unfortunately, Tons couldn't be with us, and Rob and Marilyn. Uh, we went to celebrate with Julian and Katia Adams the third year anniversary of their church plant, which they had planted out of harvest into the US and Boston. And we got to be there and just see this beautiful community that has started to gather and build and really picked up momentum and are having impact in that city. And we got to just be with them. And while we were there, it was just wonderful. There was the prophetic that was taking place. There were some healings. Um, it was just beautiful to be with them. If you've got their details, if you follow them on Instagram, or maybe if you know them, just send them a message and say, we're thinking of you, we love you, we back you, we encourage you, we're cheering you on because they are doing significant things. But uh, I was prompted in coming back to give Brent Martini a call who had shared last week's Sunday, and we were speaking, and he was just sharing that in Paul, he had two um, uh, incidents that had taken place that had really just hit their community a little bit hard after the last little period. And so he said he was going to take a moment for them as a community just to come to the table where life had been seemed to be pulled from them or to be barraging them. He had thought, you know, let's just come and gather around the table where we get to receive the life that's been given for us freely. And so I want to take that moment for us as well. We always do it at Easter. We have it available every Sunday. But there's moments where we come as a community and we get to share in something together. And so we're going to just focus on uh, what it means to respond to the invitation to come to the table. Even as we've been at the Table Church in Boston celebrating, and even as we've come back here to share together in this moment. I did read a little story on sharing that I, I, I want to bring this morning. And it was about three pastors and these three pastors decided that they wanted to go on a fishing trip. So they got a boat and they headed out into the middle of this lake and they thought, you know what, we're far away from anyone and everything that could be going on. There's no prying eyes. So let's just let down our hair a little bit and share what we struggle with so that we can pray for each other. And so the first pastor said, you know what, I'll, I'll kick it off. I really battle with gambling. Every chance I get, I sneak off to go and gamble. And the guys just nodded and knowingly just uh, supported him in that way. And the second pastor thought, well, you know what? I've got a problem with cheating. Every chance that I get, I'm cheating on my taxes and I'm uh, finding corners to cut and doing all this sort of thing. And so the other two just nodded and accepted this. And then they looked at the third pastor and he was just quiet, stone-faced, not budging. You weren't going to get this guy to share, but they applied pressure to him. And eventually he said, all right, my greatest sin is that I'm a gossip and I can't wait to get off of this boat. <laughs> you see, there's, uh, there's sharing and there's sharing. Uh, there's something that we're gonna be looking at today where we are called to share in the life of Christ. The beauty of that, the wonder of that, it's unimaginable 
We can spend our lives trying to explore it and not understand the height, the breadth, the depth of what's available to us in him. But there's also something that we get to share in together as we get to come to the table and partake of communion. So Luke 22 verse 14, I trust everyone's got one of these. Has everyone got one? If we don't, we'll give a chance for them to be handed out later. Luke 22, 14. It says, when the hour had come, he sat down, speaking of Jesus, he sat down and the 12 apostles were with him. And then he said to them, I love this, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I love the, in this version, just the double emphasis. It says, with fervent desire, it means intense and passionate desire I have desired. And so you, show, you see that there's something in Jesus' heart, that this is something of significance, that he is longing for us to enter into and to be able to celebrate. And this was happening on the night before Jesus was going to be uh, taken off to the cross. This was happening in this moment, and what Jesus was doing, he was opening up the Passover meal to being more than just the religious observance in this moment, and he was causing it to become the communion table. He was causing it to become the place that we get to come and share in and to partake of his life and fullness. There was a transitioning happening at this moment, and it was here that the truth of our salvation was coming to its fullness as seen as the Israelites were led out of Egypt, in the same way he's saying as we partake and we come to the, the communion table, what's happening is that we are celebrating that we have come out of bondage and slavery and we've come into promise and inheritance. That's what's happening in this moment. And as he takes the Passover bread, unleavened bread, to break it, and as he takes the cup, the wine, to share it with them, what he was doing in this moment is he was reinterpreting a practice that the Israelites had done for centuries coming into this moment. And he was taking this practice and he was applying it to himself. And he was saying, I have become the ultimate Passover lamb. He's saying, I have become the once and forever sacrifice. That's what's happening through this moment. And what he was doing in that upper room was he was saying this is the last time that the Passover meal will be celebrated before what it prophesied will be fulfilled. He's saying this is the last time. I am the fulfillment, this is happening, and this is what it's gonna mean. And I want you and I desire with intense passion for you to experience that all that's gonna be available through this moment. And so then we know that Jesus, he goes to the cross and he sheds his blood and his body is beaten and we know that we discover deliverance in and through that moment that we get to live in the freedom of today because we have been set free from the bondage of slavery. And I love how the commentators say, um, describe that moment. They say that he did it, uh, it was completely complete and perfectly perfect. What he did was completely complete and perfectly perfect. The once and forever sacrifice on your behalf and mine. And so with that intensity and with that passion, I want us to dive into what the table means for us so that we can receive all that he has given for us in the new covenant. And there are these great truths that we'll discover, so much more than I can mention. But I want to pick up on just five briefly to prompt us with before we share around, uh, not actually coming to the table, but where you're seated, we'll partake of just uh, communion together. So the first point I want to bring as we come to take communion is this. The table is a celebration of victory. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Every time it's mentioned that he speaks about the communion table, he's saying, do this in remembrance of me. There's something he wants us to be aware of. 
And now you, you might feel like some might do, that this is a little bit heavy. It's a little bit uh, gloomy, it's a little bit morose. You know, I find I, find I get pulled down because, you know, I, Jesus, do you really want me to focus on all of the agony that you went through? Uh, how many of you have seen The Passion? I mean, I think I've seen that probably twice, and every time I think I need to watch it one more time, I just can't, because it's, uh, it's such a powerful um, description of what Jesus went through, but it's, it's heavy, and it emotionally takes its toll. And so when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, I don't believe he's wanting us to get so much caught up in the agony. We need to be aware of what happened in his body and his blood for us, but I believe it's not to be so caught in the agony, but in the accomplishment. It's a little bit like Sia Colisi when in a few weeks' time he's going to hold up the Webb Ellis Trophy and he wants us to be in remembrance. <laughs> Loudest applause I've had all day. He wants us to be in remembrance of the journey to the victory, not in the agony of last night. It's part of the journey, but it's not the final destination. And so in all of the New Testament Gospels, Jesus is saying, do this in remembrance of me. But he starts it off even prior to that and he says this, and he gave thanks. Whenever he takes the bread and the cup, it's, it's a moment of giving thanks. Why? Let's jump to the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 10. This is what Jesus is seeing in this moment when he's saying, do this in remembrance of me and give thanks. Let me read verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before God day and night, has been cast down, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. He's saying this, this table is a celebration of victory, so I want you to give thanks and do this in remembrance of me and the victory I have won on your behalf, because through what I'm gonna do on the cross, I'm gonna totally overcome every ploy, strategy, and assignment of the enemy, and where he thinks he's bringing me into destruction, I'm actually bringing you into destiny, this is a victorious moment. And so this is a place of victory that we get to step in to declare and to receive all that Christ has accomplished for us. And when you look at communion, when it's mentioned uh, throughout the Gospels, it's the word Eucharist. Uh, Eucharisto is the actual Greek word. And when you take a, a, do a Bible study on that word, it means thankfulness, means to give thanks. That's why he says give thanks whenever we do it. But within that word, there's another word, because Eucharist, in it is charis, which means grace. And in that word is another word, which is kara, which means joy. And so there's something about when we come to take communion or the Lord's Supper, is that we give thanks, and in our giving thanks, we experience grace. And in the giving, I mean, in the experiencing grace, there's a joy that wells up. And in the experiencing joy, there's a strength that's being infused in us. And in us receiving strength, there is the ability to live in the victory that he has already won on our behalf. So as we go out, we are going from victory with joy and grace, giving thanks. We're not trying to achieve it, we're living from it, because we've received the full provision of what he's done on our behalf. And here's the beauty of giving thanks. Man. So often we overlook that giving thanks is in God's desire and design for our life. Not to require something of us, but to empower us with something that accesses the wide open beauty of the Father's heart towards us. 
Yeah. One moment. My wife has made me carry handkerchiefs. I want, uh, oh, sorry, tissues. I want a handkerchief for my next birthday. Please, sweetie. I need it now. I accept that. Giving thanks is in God's will and his design and his desire for us. It is often overlooked. But when you look at the life of Jesus and the life of others, we see that it is the door opener to the miraculous. If you go and read, wherever you find people giving thanks, miraculous things start to happen. There is breakthrough, there is provision, there is heaven pitching up. It's just transformative power at work, divine flow of kingdom activity. Wherever you look, where thanks is giving, this is what's happening. Jonah was delivered from being in the belly of a fish as he offered a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Here's the thing, it's not always gonna be easy, it's a sacrifice, but as you start to sacrifice, you start to be able to step into what it really means to give thanks, and there's grace and joy. And so he actually causes himself to not focus on what he is fearing and running from, but on what God was calling him to, and he started to sacrifice his emotions to give thanks, and that brought him into destiny, and brought generations into destiny. Jonah, then you've got Jesus. Jesus multiplied the five loaves and the two fish, not by praying that it would be, uh, happen, but simply by giving thanks. And he didn't start to look at the lack and the demand and say, God, you better do something. He started to look for the little that he could find, that he could take and present. And so I wanna give you thanks for this little because you see little becomes much in an atmosphere of thanksgiving. And some of us are caught up being just so aware of lack. I wanna say shift your attention to what seems little but has miraculous power for the more because God is wanting to open up the floodgates of heaven and display his goodness and use your life as a demonstration of that. Likewise, we see it in the giving of thanks where Jesus stands before a tomb with a man who's been dead for days and he starts to give thanks and there's a miraculous resurrection power that is released that starts to move um, tombs and, and, and stones and death clothes and communities and Lazarus comes back to life, but it's all with thanks. You see, the table is a celebration of victory. Just remember that, take notes if you are, because I'm gonna just give you five. The second one is this, the table is a proclamation of redemption. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 26 says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's saying every time you do it, any time you do it, whenever you do it, there is proclamation that comes forth. I love that word proclaim. It's the word kerygma, proclamation, and the, the verb proclaim is kariso. It means that it's the same word that's used where Jesus tells his disciples to go and share the good news. He says, you know, you go out and you share the good news. I'm giving you this gospel message. Blessed are the feet of those who carry the good news. You know what's good news for us? We can proclaim the good news of the gospel message, not just to those around us, but into the spiritual realm, just when we break bread, because we are testifying to who he is and what he has done and what's available and what's been made um, yours and mine in him. It says every time we do it, there's a proclamation that's going forth. We are proclaiming that we were lost and dead, but we have entered into salvation because we have been ransomed and we are now redeemed. There is redemptive power that's at work and we are proclaiming that every time you partake of this. 
And so sometimes we can feel, you know, I don't want to do it too frequently because it'll be meaningless. But I want to say we can fall into the habit of doing it so infrequently we are losing out on the vitality that it brings to us as believers in the kingdom. Not only what it brings to us, but what it speaks to others and declares to the spiritual realm. I want to encourage you, we need to start doing this more in our homes. I'm speaking to myself, I'm not speaking at you, I'm encouraging you, let's do this together. Because here's the beautiful thing, not only are you sharing it in the, the natural, uh, in the, the supernatural, but we are sharing it as a community. I said to Rich, I mean, the worship's been great this morning, and uh, especially in the second service, I just said, hey, something is happening uh, in the second service in the worship. I felt like this crescendo and momentum just in the atmosphere. And I was thinking, why is that happening? But the service before, we have all broken bread together, sharing together. There's a proclamation that's been reverberating in and from this household, and it shifts things. And you can experience that in this household, but in your household. Turn to someone near you and say, whatever you want to say, I'm going to blow my Number three, <laughs> it's a celebration of victory, it's a proclamation of redemption, and the table is a declaration of dependence. Leanne and I were not here last week because um, we were coming back from having been at Boston, uh, traveling with everyone else. We were meant to come here, I was meant to be on the six o'clock flight to be at 7.15 to introduce my friend Brent Martini. But he is speaking on detours, and we were detoured, so we landed in, in, in Newark. Okay, Newark is the airport, but yes, New Jersey, um, and New York to watch our plane taking off as we were landing. And I thought, this is awesome, sorry Brent, um, but I get to spend a day in uh, New York and to experience it I never have before. But can I tell you something? New York is not New York. New York is New Jersey. Not as exciting, sorry if you're from New Jersey. But anyway, Leanne managed, we were stuck for a whole day, 8 p.m., well, the only next flight was 8 p.m. the following day. And Leanne managed to find this mansion that had belonged to this family where there was a history, and the person who had first owned it was one of the people who signed the, what's it called? Declaration of Independence. Now really, that's just a little side story. It's got nothing to do with what I'm preaching about. Just want to involve you in my life for the last week. But today, I want to say the table is not a declaration of independence. It's a declaration of dependence. And that's not removing strength, that's giving strength. And so we see in John 6, verse 53, Jesus said, most assuredly, there's no confusion here, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. you could look at it this way, you have no life in you unless you are eating of his body and drinking of his blood. And so there's something of a dependence that we get to step into when we come to the table. Now we know that the bread isn't becoming flesh and the blood isn't, I mean the wine isn't becoming blood. But in the same way, when we come to partake of this, I wanna say as we do this in faith, this little piece of bread is not just bread. And this grape juice here is not just grape juice. Because there's something that catalyzes when we do this in faith. That even as we ingest, put into our mouths, ingest a little wafer and some grape juice, as we ingest that, there's something being digested in the spiritual realm where we are starting to partake of the life of Christ and his life is being formed in us. 
Now, if we just ingest it without digesting what's happening, we can become full, but we're not becoming transformed. And so we want to ingest and we want to digest in the Spirit's working all that's made available for us to nourish us and provide us with life and capacity for what God has for us. So we do this in faith. And as we do it in dependence, we know that through the Holy Spirit's power and activity, that divine life is flowing into us to carry us into all that He wants us to walk into. So the table is a place of celebration of victory. It's a proclamation of redemption. It's a declaration of dependence. And number four, are you with me? Number four, together. You don't have to read it with me. I'm just saying we together. (laughs) Number four, the table is a place for examination of self. Now this is a good thing, not a bad thing. I see all the matric students, Gemma, well done. I've heard you've got through your trials. I know some are, some are still going through it. I think Luke's not here because he's still recovering. It's one thing to go through the examination. It's another thing to wait for results. But anyway, the table is a place for examination of self. And this isn't meant to be a heavy that wears us down. But in the kingdom, it's a, it's a, a seal and a, a reminder of the approval of all we get to live into. So 1 Corinthians 11 verse 28, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You see, it's the examining as we come and take of. It's not examining to disqualify ourselves from. It's in the invitation and it's to the more. It's not holding us in a place of less. Why? Because Jesus wants us to examine ourselves because he knows that we come with wrong attitudes and he knows that we come living in fear instead of faith and he knows that anger is taking hold of us to our neighbor instead of love and he knows that there's jealousy that's happening in our lives and it's holding us back from celebrating others which allows us to come into our own breakthrough and he knows that there are deliberate sins that are keep tripping us up and holding us back and, and holding us down so that we are prevented from coming into the fullness of the possibilities that God is wanting to release in our lives and he's saying if you coming to my table, which is a place of provision of the much of the bounty of the lavishness of every possibility in me because I'm the God who makes impossible possible. I want you to self-examine because don't bring that lesser small-minded held back thinking, yeah, I want you to have an attitude of receiving the more than I'm wanting to do. So shift that, start to examine so that you can come into the more. And this examination will have a result. It means that you will experience more life and health and freedom and peace and victory and all that I have for you. So it's an examination that should bring us joy. And fifthly and lastly, before we come to finish, can I have, um, Gibby, you're going to come and just play in the background uh, as I finish this point, and then Warren will come and lead us through the breaking of bread. The table is a place of receiving provision. There's provision. I want to say if you've come in and you've been feeling you're in lack or you've been feeling you don't have enough and that life is asking too much and that you're a little bit overwhelmed, I want to say there is provision. Provision for every necessity and every need and everything that you might be facing to walk into. You don't have to walk in feeling light and uh, unable. You get to walk in carrying the bounty of heaven with you as you go. Verse 29 says this, and it's been a source of confusion for many. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So how do we access this provision when we're thinking, well, uh, maybe I'm not worthy because I do feel in lack and I don't feel 
capable and I don't think I'm living in the fullness of all God has for me and I don't feel like I'm a model kingdom man or woman. So how do I come to receive this provision without being unworthy? Well, I wanna say to you, I wanna ask this question. In your own strength and of yourself, who is worthy to come to the table of the Lord? In your own strength and of yourself, I don't mind what car you drive, what house you live in, how much money's in the bank account, who is worthy to come to the table of the living God and of his son? Nobody. But here's the beauty. Partaking in a worthy manner simply means this, that you get to come ascribing full worth to the one who is worthy that has provided you with the welcome into the Father's presence. And so when I come in a worthy manner, it's me saying, I'm declaring the worth of the one who is worthy. And that is how I come in a worthy manner that gives me access to everything he has done and made available to me. And as I come to his table, it doesn't only offer me forgiveness of sins, which it does, but it offers me everything for every need and every necessity and everything I might face. That's why it says in 2 Peter 1 verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. I love that the table is a place of intimacy and doing life together. It's a place of speaking with family. When we come to the table, we get to speak our hearts. And we get to say, Father, these are areas that I just feel less and discouraged, not enough, overwhelmed. The table's for that. Come and speak your heart. But it says, do this in remembrance of me. When you come to the table, don't just speak your heart. Even if it contradicts it, speak the truth of God's promises for you and to you. Lord, I feel discouraged, but I know that by your spirit that I can be full of courage and fortitude, courage in the face of adversity. And Lord, even though I'm feeling intimidated and afraid and a little bit anxious, that's my heart, I'm speaking my heart, but I'm gonna speak your word too. I'm gonna, I'm gonna seed the soil with your word knowing that a harvest will come. And so Lord, even though I feel discouraged, anxious, I feel intimidated, I know Lord that you haven't given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love and a sound mind. And Lord, I don't feel that I have enough, but I thank you that I'm an heir and I get to share as a co-heir in the inheritance and the riches of your glory. And so I can walk in a different manner with a different attitude as I approach the table. And so there's something that shifts as we start to do this. And the cup is the testimony that he has paid for everything. And Jesus says to us, Jesus says to you this morning, even as he had to his disciples gathered around that table that morning, or that evening, should I say, Jesus desires with fervent, intense, passionate desire for you to come to the table, that you might experience all that he has for you that you might celebrate victory over every attack of the adversary, that you might proclaim his redemptive work that has taken place in your life, that you might declare your dependence on him and his life flowing in you and through you, that you might examine yourself so that you can step into the more of his desire and design for you, and that you might receive every provision of every blessing for you to live in the goodness of the life God has called you to live. As we do this, I want us to be in remembrance of this truth, that communion is not just a ritual to be observed. But as we take this, thank you, Warren, you can come up. Communion is not just a ritual to be observed. It's a blessing to be received. 
Are you prepared to receive your blessing this morning? Warren is just going to give us a picture of this before he leads us in the breaking of bread. So what I'm about to do is, uh, was inspired actually by the picture that we got up, which is a beautiful picture. Um, but where we've got a glass that is, I'd say three quarters full, maybe half full, but not overflowing. And I wanted to do a small illustration, um, just unpacking and maybe giving some symbolism to what George has declared um, in this message. Richie, can you come up for me? And we're going to just ready our hearts for communion because, because when we come to this table, it's that we would be forever satisfied. One of, one of the translations when Jesus speaks of us drinking of his blood, he, speak, he says, drink ye all of it. So drink, but don't stop drinking. Now, we were all watching rugby last night, and maybe you were at a friend's house, and when you got there, you had a nice glass of wine, and they filled it up about this high, which, after four big sips, is relatively close to being down, and you know maybe when that's down, it's time to go. Or maybe you go to another friend's house, and they want you to stay just a little bit longer, and when you get there, they fill your wine glass up really, really high, and that's gonna take you a while to drink which means they want you to stick around for a while. Is that right? And then they got the, the, the bottle of wine nice and close to just keep filling. But the way this works with Jesus is just a little bit different. I'm going to try and not pour on your shoes and mine, Richie. But when you come to Jesus, the first time this cup was full was when it was overflowing. And that is the nature of the covenant and that is na- the nature of the invitation is that he wants you full. And he doesn't want you to stay for a little while. He doesn't want to just stay for the night. He wants to move in. And he wants to continue to overflow in your life. Because in the spilling over the world around you begins to drink of what you drink of. In the overflow, the things that you're facing, you can't control begin to be dealt with because there is power in the blood. Because in this place, there is no other name. And that's why he invites us, as George was speaking about victory, as you're speaking about thanksgiving, as you're speaking about this being a place of dependency on the one, because he has poured himself out and he is saying, drink, church. Drink because I have more to give you. And really, this comes down to your and our hunger this morning to keep drinking because he has more to give. And for me, this is a picture for many of us in the church in this season of our lives. It's a picture for George. It's a picture for Rich. It's a picture for for Dean and for Thalia that what the Lord has for you is more than you can contain. So right now, where there are things that you can't control in your life, let them fill you up to overflowing. Thank you, Richard. Thank you for letting us pour juice all over your shoes. But where you are, why don't you just pull out your emblems quickly. We're going to have communion together. And as we do this, maybe you're in a position right now where you need the blood of Jesus to overflow into an area of your life. Or maybe you need the blood of Jesus to flow through your life into the life of someone else around you. Maybe there's someone who needs healing that you know that you are Renal. They were trusting for significant breakthrough and maybe there's someone in your life who doesn't know Jesus and you've been on your knees for them. 
Maybe the world around you needs a touch of his blood because can I say this? The one hope we do have is as a community and as a nation that there is nothing too big for the blood of Jesus. Amen, church. So let's right-size this reality at his table as George has spoken about the weight of who he is. Because what he has for you isn't a half-filled cup. It's a cup that's overflowing. That's why he says, keep coming back to drink. Keep coming back to drink. Keep coming back to drink because what he has for you is overflowing. So just as the first service the morning in this morning prepared the way for this moment, what you're doing here now is preparing the way for someone else in your tomorrow. So where you are, won't you just grab the bread in your hands? And Jesus, we just examine right now the fact that you took on the whipping post and the stripes that you bore for us and the blood that you shed, healing for our lives and for us to become healers that represent your kingdom on this earth. So as you take this, we just want to thank you for your very provision in your body, in what you did. And we want to just declare right now that as people consume and eat of you and take communion right now and eat of you at this table, we want to thank you for healing in their bodies. Take a moment to take hold of it. And we just want to corporately declare right now that every aspect on every, every faculty of every person's body in this room be healed in Jesus' name. And won't you just release the power of your healing in your blood, Jesus, and in your broken body because you have declared that it is finished. And just begin to think of people right now around you or begin to speak it into existence as you whisper into the ear of the Father of people around you that you know, that you know need healing. We declare healing over this house. We declare healing over families. We declare, Lord, Lord, even right now, and an, an upgraded anointing as a house for healing. That this would be a house of healing, that the people represented here, that their houses would be houses of healing and restoration. And as you look to the cup, <laughs> we thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. Your prevailing over sin and every transgression, the washing away of your blood and the ratification of a new covenant. A new covenant where you declare your church righteous, in right standing with you, equal with your son, heirs of a kingdom and of a promise. So thank you, Lord, right now, that as people drink of you, that they would know the overflowing sense of your Holy Spirit. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit, right now to flood hearts as we receive you, to flood our hearts to overflowing that would touch the world around us. Let's just stay in a moment of reflection and examination. Just in your own moment, just take a moment to thank Him for whatever you want to thank Him for. Because as Je I almost called George Jesus, <laughs> well, He did crucify you, George. He did decide to take us home in you. <laughs> because in the Thanksgiving, like George declared, there are miracles. So Lord, we want to thank you across the room that there would be financial miracles 
as we thank you for what we have. Thank you, Lord, across the room. That impossible situations would begin to be realigned and transformed because nothing is impossible with you. So we declare, declare that you are the God of the breaking through and we thank you, Jesus, for who you are. We thank you for the extraordinary and extravagant and lavish declaration of your love for us and what you did on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.